and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Oh, yeah. oh man, that was so good. So I think it was like nine months ago, I was actually going to an appointment. We were back in the Lithia campus. And I was like about to go to an appointment in Tampa with my wife. And one of the secretaries here comes up. She goes, hey, hey, Homeland Security's here. And I'm like, what have we done? <laughs> and they're like, you never know. Like they come, they ask you questions. And you don't know if you answered right or wrong. It was like stone cold poker face. So I call Steve. I'm like, I don't know if you're going to make it, bro. I don't know. I don't know if I answered the questions right or wrong. But it's just, I, guess we did a, I guess we did a good job. I guess we did a good job. Hey, let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews 11. I want to talk about faith this morning. And I really feel like today the Lord wants to deposit something on the inside of us. How many of you believe that? Oh, four of you. Good. How many of you believe the Lord wants to deposit something on the inside of us today? That's why we're here. We're here because we believe that every time we gather, the Lord does something significant together that we can never have apart. That's why we gather. There's something special that happens in a room with this many people lifting up the name of Jesus and then coming under his leadership. It's both and. It's a people lifting up the name of Jesus, praising his name, adoring him, and then coming under his leadership. Meaning, Lord, we're going to submit to whatever you think is best, how it's, going to, how it's going to happen, and how you want to do it. It's all of that. So I want to talk about the subject of faith today because I, th- I think it's important. As the Lord deposited into us last week throughout the whole week, and how many of you know we do not yet fully understand all that happened last weekend? I'm not talking about a conference. I'm talking about moments in time in history where God's kingdom intersects with our little lives and something happens that we do not yet fully understand. It's like we know something happened, but we do not yet fully understand. Like on Saturday night, I had no idea what happened to me. Like Pastor Tyler's like, hey man, you want me to close service? I'm like, where are we? What are you talking about? It's like these moments where God's presence comes in such a way that like all around, all the, all the, All the crap just fades away and it's just you and Jesus. And the tension that we have to live in now as his people is how do we walk this thing out? Like how do we protect and steward what he did? And it's not just one encounter, it's a continual sequence of encounters, right? Like God wants to continually touch you. He wants to continually speak to you. He wants to continually bless you. But God's a good steward. So it's like he comes, he deposits the word, he touches you. And then he sits back and it's like I want to see what they do with what I just did. And so in the context of faith, I know we come into a room like this and we think that faith only happens when there's 200 and something people in the room screaming Jesus. Or maybe you look at faith, you're like, well, for me, faith would look like David throwing the rock at Goliath. But what I'm hoping for us to see today is that like faith can look like many different things. Like I want to give us parameters. I want to paint a picture for faith that no matter where we're at in life, he is calling us to step into a life of faith. The Bible says this, without faith, it is what? It is impossible to please God. Meaning you can come to church every Sunday. You can give your tithes and your offerings. You can do all of the stuff, right? All of, you can check all the boxes. But without entering into new levels of faith, you're not pleasing the Lord. Now here's what I want to say. There's no way to strive yourself into faith. Faith cannot be strived into. Faith cannot be accomplished by works. Your faith and your works work together but it's not your work that accomplishes faith. The Bible says that the Lord is the author and the finisher of our Meaning the Lord is here today. I want you to see this. The Lord is here. He's in this room. And what he's wanting to do this morning is he wanting, he's wanting to author faith. Say author faith. author faith. Author faith. He's wanting to author faith in your heart. 
He's wanting to ignite your heart to believe him for more. He's wanting to expand you. He's wanting to grow you. He's wanting to stretch you. And no matter where you find yourself, I just see like the Lord with a pen in his hand, and he's wanting to author fresh faith. And those places of hopelessness, and the places of depression and anxiety, and the places of disappointment where you've been contending and believing, he's wanting to author fresh faith. Now in the world, there's lots of different examples or different definitions for faith, right? It would be like, man, I have faith for that. But, but in the book of Hebrews, you see like the writer of Hebrews, he's giving us an understanding of faith. And he starts with this. Now faith is the confidence that what we have hoped for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. In the New King James, it says, now faith is substance. Say substance. 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 Now faith is substance of things we hope for. It is evidence of things not seen. So what is faith? It's an assurance. It's substance. It's confidence. It's like, hey, when the word of the Lord comes to us in a room like this, like they were releasing, Pastor Tyler was releasing about us, allowing the Lord to come and wash us and receive from him. It's believing that even though in the physical, my circumstance has not changed, in the spiritual, it has. And it's living in that tension of, I have it now, but it has not yet manifested. It's, it's grabbing hold of nothing until it becomes something. And carrying the word of the Lord before us and allowing that to dictate our life. Many people know how to say the right words, the right language when it comes to faith. But there's a moment in your life where, where difficulty and the word of the Lord will intersect. It's like, I know what he said, but this is what I see. And I just want to say to you today from the onset of this is we do not live by what we see. We live by what we've heard. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. How do you receive words? By hearing. <laughs> he speaks, we hear. Once we hear, we have to carry this thing out. Say amen. amen. So now faith is confidence. It is substance. Even though we don't see it, we believe it, but there's a confidence. There's, there's a steadfastness on the inside where we hold on to his word. I'm contending for this over our family, that the word of the Lord would become the baseline. But what about this? What about that? Have you read this? Have you heard that? Don't care. I know what he said. It becomes the baseline. It becomes the standard. We become immovable. The word of the Lord becomes our anchor. We, we, we anchor ourselves in what we hear. And even though we don't see it, we know it, we believe it. Why? Because we have a confidence. And so we come into rooms like this and there's a lot of emotion. We talk about this all the time. Why are they singing that song? What is Jehovah Jireh and Rapha? What are we doing? What's going on? But yet in the midst of all of that activity, you feel there's something on the inside where we feel like there's a presence. There's something in the room tangible that we can't find at a movie theater. We can't find at a sporting event. You may get goosebumps, but they don't transform. There's a cutting. There's a pruning. There's a wooing. It's like a calling, like come deeper. I want more. That happens in this room. But it's dictated. It's authored through faith. So many times when we're, when we're walking out our faith, we're walking out our faith walk, whatever you want to call it, the crucible, the crux of us stepping into the more of God, this way, well, I want more. Do you really? Because many times in the Bible, if you read the narrative and you begin to read the storyline, you realize that many times the things we celebrate, be it, oh God, you split the sea. Or oh God, you, you slay giants. Or, oh God, you, you call us out to step out of the boat and walk on water. How many of you know those were real acts in real time that had to happen? Yes. 
Many, listen, how many of you know God can do anything? Anything. But for some reason, he has chosen to work within the confines of our obedience. The people of Israel were in a, they were in a situation where God had sent plagues and they're freed. But how many of you know the very next step after they are liberated is they are between the, the people and the sea. There's an oppression that's coming. Oh, I got to use a stick because I want you to see. Thank you for this, Stephen. Have you met my friend Steve? Like, watch this. So, so they're in, there's immense pressure. And Moses is leading millions of people. And they're coming for them and they're angry. And they're at the base of the Red Sea. And Moses must be like, God, what do we do? And God's like, take that stick and lift it up. You understand? Moses is like, hey, I got this, guys. God has spoken. <laughs> this is faith in the moment. It's like, no, 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 God, like, I need strategy. And God is like, yeah, yeah, take that thing you got in your hand, stretch it out, and watch me go to work. And, like, this is the, let's just start here. Many of us would hold the stick. You're like, well, what does this stick have anything to do with that sea? Many of us are like, man, man, I want, I want deeper levels of faith. I want to step out, and I want to, I want to more. Then God's like, man, well, step out. Step out. And you're like, that doesn't make sense, man. We don't get to walk on water. And there's this, there's this invitation to impossibility, and sometimes you feel the tension between the songs we sing and the lives we live. It's the great tension. That's why we sing for so long, because we hope at some point you would be saying words, and you're like, wait a second, I'm not sure I'm fully living that. And it wouldn't be that it would become condemnation, but that you would feel the invitation of the Lord to say, God, if you gave that song from heaven, it must mean there's something available for me there. It must mean that I can, like, we live so much of our lives, like, I'll believe it when I see it. That's just not the way kingdom works. You can't approach kingdom while I'll believe it when I see it. I was this way. You know, you get offended and you get betrayed so many times, it becomes difficult to trust. So you're like, man, I'll believe that when I see it, but in the kingdom it doesn't work. You see it when you believe it. It's like God speaks to you and it, 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 there's a moment where it hits your heart and this is the repetitive theme. Jesus walks up to a man with a withered hand. He says, stretch out your hand. And the withered man is like, bro. It's offensive. It's offensive to go up to a man with a withered hand and say, do something you couldn't do. Yet in that moment, how many of you know the guy had to make a decision to stretch out his hand? And this is the beckoning, the call that I feel from the Lord today. For us to step in and to, what stifles us from walking in faith is fear. Listen, fear robs you every single day. Many of you, you've been carrying words of the Lord. You've been laboring. You've been contending. You've been believing. You've got dreams. You've got passions. And I want to say to you this morning, fear is a robber. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The primary way he'll do that is through fear. He'll serve you a platter of fear. I heard what God said, but did God really say? Do you really think that's going to work out? And there are tensions in our lives where we have to answer these questions and we've got to allow something to be solidified on the inside of us where we say, listen, I'm not going to allow, how many of you know Peter, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he was surrounded. And we talk a lot about Peter, but how many of you know there was 11 in a boat that never even stepped out? We talk a lot of crap about Peter. There were 11 that never even touched the water. And this is the church today. 
It's like we would rather watch a Peter group. Peter go out, whoa, Peter, you did it. Whoa, we can walk on water. And Jesus is like, I want all of you to come. I would that all. I would that all. I would that all. I would that all. I would, like, I want all of you to come. And as we move forward, I want you to see it's going to take faith. And faith looks different in different seasons. There are times where God will tell you to stand. And you must stand. And you must stand and you must resist. There are times where he says, you've got to push forward. And it's time to push forward. One of the, my favorite things about David is when he says, David went at Goliath. He went at Goliath. But how many of you know there are certain seasons where it takes just as much faith to sit as it does to stand? Oh, to just sit and watch the Lord, watch the goodness of the Lord go before you and not defend yourself and not, listen, some of you are so consumed with making people happy that are committed to misunderstanding you. You live your life this way. I want them to understand. And they don't get it. They don't need to get it. God has given you grace for your journey. Let me, let me stop. So, so I want to talk about a few stories in faith because I believe, like, like let's talk about Daniel 3 real quick. We've, this is a repetitive story we're going to talk about as, we, as, as the church grows and as we continue on. Because I believe we're in a season where God is asking a people to have courage and boldness. He's asking us, like, hey, man, at a certain point, your faith is going to have to look like something. And in a world that's constantly asking you to conform and to become alike, it's like, oh, well, we're so different. Are you really different? I want to ask you this morning, man, if somebody that didn't know you, like if you hadn't verbalized, hey, I'm a Christian, would people be able to see that there's something different about you? That you're carrying oil. That the way that you walk and you talk, that in circumstances that are impossible, you still carry joy. And in Daniel 3, you find three, three young men Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are about to enter into a narrative where there is a king who had set up a monument. And I want you to understand that we live in a nation that has set up many monuments and none of them are to the Lord. None of them are to the Lord. It's the spirit of Babylon. It's like the world is consistently trying to get us to bow to every spirit that is not the Lord. You've got to know this. I know they won't tell you on TPN, but it's true. There's a constant invitation to bow, to bow, and to give yourself to things that, that, that they strip you of first love. So you find these guys, and I want you to see that in Daniel 2, they have earned favor with the king. They have earned favor. They're, they're promoted. Daniel's promoted. And, and as they're promoted, as he's promoted, they're promoted. But now he sets up a statue, 90 by 90 foot statue, and the, and the decree is this. Everybody is summoned, and they said, you will bow at the sound of the horns. There's all of these instruments that play, and then all of a sudden, there's, the nations are bowing. Even after chapter 2, where, where Nebuchadnezzar himself says, God, he is Lord. He acknowledges Yahweh. He acknowledges the Lord. Yet the very next chapter, he's setting up a monument, and the picture is there are thousands upon thousands. I would, you, you can imagine there's a sound and all of a sudden the masses are just bowing. And in the distance there's just three standing. I want you to see this. Because there's going to be an end time remnant. There's going to be a people that refuse to bow. Like they're not going to be succumbed. It would have been easy for the people to say, hey listen, we just started gaining favor with Nebuchadnezzar. Let's just do whatever it takes, man. 
Let's just, whatever it takes, because we want to be close in proximity to the king. So if we just bow now, maybe we could have influence later. Do you see the lure? But like, it's like they had inwardly already made a decision. We refuse to bow to the cultural narrative. We've already in our hearts have established, I'm not going to bow to the secular narrative that tells me what I have to do. And so the people bow, and there's a mass bowing. And then Nebuchadnezzar is upset because when you refuse to bow, there will be repercussions. That's why Jesus says to his disciples, listen, you will be persecuted. If I'm persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. This is the mass falling, this is going to be the mass falling away of the church in America. Of people who are offended because nobody told them persecution is coming. This is why it's going to happen. In all love, I pray that one day you remember this. When persecution comes and it doesn't look like somebody bashing you on Facebook, then something's going to happen where you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to bow or are you going to stand? And that's when you're really going to find out, do you believe that the Lord is really the Lord? Because you see the men being confronted, and then in verse 16, they say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Nebuchadnezzar says, you will bow or you will die. This is the tension he's in. They're standing before a furnace, and he says, you got one more chance. You better bow or you better die. And they said, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Like, you have nothing to threaten me with. Man, how do you threaten a Christian with heaven? I used to wrestle with this. I used to say, like, Lord, can you just wait? It, don't come back yet because I want a family. As if heaven, as if anything on earth would be anything compared to heaven. He says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Ah, a little bit of, I love it. It's a little bit of sarcasm. But even if he does it, we want to make it clear. There has to be a clarity on where you stand. We want to make it clear, your majesty, we will never serve your gods, lowercase g, or worship the golden statue you have set up. There was a refusal to bow. And even though there may not be, like we're not living in a world that's setting up monuments and saying bow, make no mistake, there is an agenda to get you to bow. It's robbing you of faith. It's robbing you of stepping in. The fear of, the, whether it's an economical crisis or it's a sickness or a new plague or disease, there's always a narrative that's saying, will you bow? Will you bow? Will you succumb? And the, and the tension here is going to be, it's going to be really easy for you to give the Lord lip service, but it's going to be harder and harder to really live out. Man, we lived through a season in our life where the church was so shaken, and the threat was, well, they're going to take away your 501c3 as if the church can only operate when they have a piece of paper. As if we had to have a corporation to have his kingdom come to this earth. I'm saying to you, as a people, there are times where it's like, we're going to go and we're going to watch the Lord do work. And you see, you know the story, right? They step into the fire and three go in, but when you look in, there's really four. And everybody's astounded because there's something that happens. Like you can't threaten the people who are baptized with fire, with fire. <laughs> you just can't do it. It's like there's something on the inside of me that's burning harder than that furnace. So you can throw me into the furnace, 
but you're going to watch God do work. And watch this. This is what's amazing about it. As you choose to step in to those situations, everybody gets to see God go to work. Man, maybe if we can get them in and we could do a sermon series on love and relationships, then we can draw them in. And we could draw them. Let's try to meet them where they are instead of saying, man, I just need a few that are willing to go into the fire. Just a few that's like, I'm going to go there, man. I'm, I'm just, and it's sometimes it's scary, man. I, I remember being in, Af- in Mexico, and we had this cell group. And in the cell group, um, it was some rough individuals, man. The guy, listen, the, the, the patriarch of the family, the, the, the lead, the, the, the father of the family, his name was Nacho. You know what kind of confidence you have to have for somebody to call you Nacho? Nacho was a Sicario. He killed people. And God met him drunk and radically changed his life. And we were, we were having a cell group with these people teaching them about the kingdom. And we're teaching about the orphan spirit and God is delivering them and they're manifesting demons and they're getting free because this is what the kingdom of heaven does. It frees and it liberates. And so now we're teaching them like, hey, listen, now that you've received God's kingdom, he wants to release it through you. And so we're in this room, or actually we're outside on a patio, and we're praying. It's like, is there anybody who's sick? This is Nacho. Is there anybody who's sick in the circle? I'm like, let's go, Nacho. Get it. And one of the guys raised his hand, like, yeah, I have really bad ankle issues, and and it really hurts, and I need prayer. And Nacho's like, okay, good. Gio's going to pray for you, and you're going to be healed. And I'm like, what? How did we get here? And I remember, I remember in that moment, like, thinking as I'm walking the three steps, like, God, you must be with me because I do not want to look stupid right now. <laughs> what I'm saying is, as I stepped into that moment, there wasn't a whole lot of faith. It was like a, God, please, you got to show up. <laughs> and I remember putting my hand on his ankle, and I remember praying, and everybody was praying, and it was just a simple, and I remember his ankle starts moving. And I'm like, bro, stop moving your ankle. And he's like, I'm not doing anything. And in front of the whole room, his ankle got healed. But, but like, we've got to be willing to take the four-step journey and be willing to say, I might look stupid in this moment. For every one story I have of people that have been healed, I got 15 of people that haven't. But I'm not going to allow those stories to rob me of that moment where I put, and I got to see God work and be sovereign and be... Ho- and prophesy to a whole family. They're now leaders. They're like elders in the church. The Sicario. 300 pound nacho. <laughs> but listen. There are times where God asks you to step out. And there are times where you find yourself in just dire situations. Right? They were talking about the storm and the waves. I was thinking about during worship today. About how Jesus spoke to a people in Mark chapter 4. And he said, hey, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. And his disciples are going with Jesus. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the lake, what do they do? They hit a storm. They hit a storm. And, and, and the water begins to come into the ship. And they're, they're panicking. And they go down, Jesus, do you not care that we're about to die? And you can see the offense in their heart in saying to Jesus, the Lord of all the universe, <laughs> do you not care? And you know the story. Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind, rebukes the waves. And then he turns to them and he says, ye have little faith. Ye have little faith. And I read that story and I'm a little offended because in many of our, we were brought up to think, hey, faith looks like when you're struggling, go to Jesus. Like take it to the Lord. 
But yet the disciples came to Jesus and he looks at them and he says, you have ye little faith. The better translation would be, why was your faith so brief? Why was your faith so brief? Like why did it? And I know for all of us in this room, we've gone through times and seasons where we've heard the Lord say. And yet in our lives, we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. Have you been there? Oh, just me and Tyler. Praise the Lord. Y'all lay hands on us. Because I know for me, man, I gave my life in 2008, and in 2013, 4, 12, it was the worst season of my life. I had done everything I knew how to do. Man, I stopped doing all the stuff they told me to stop doing. Every time there was something that needed to be done, I rose my hand. I served in every, even the kids' ministry, praise God. I wasn't all of them. I was there. And sometimes when we begin to do check off the check boxes, we begin to inwardly think, well, now nothing's going to go wrong. Yeah, that didn't change anything when I got married and within the first six months, my wife had a miscarriage. Didn't change anything. I did all the right things. I worked for a church and I did it for very little money. It was sacrificed all the way around. Yeah, my wife's still there on the bathroom floor crying and I'm saying, God, where are you? And for months, it was this cycle and this spiral. And I would love to tell you that in the midst of that, I had all faith and assurance, but all that happened to Gio is hope deferred began to settle in my heart. And so just about when we work out of the depression and the hope, because that's all I really wanted. Like all I really wanted to do was serve Jesus and have family. It's all I really wanted. Like I'm going to give my life to this and I just want a family. And so right about when we come out of that, right out of that, because the church didn't really know what to do with us except say you must have been having premarital sex. So on every side, there was pressure. Six months after that, I'm going, we're, we're, we're just making our way out. I just want to give you context so you can see, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you're exempt from storms. We all go through storms. Six months after that, I remember coming into my apartment and hearing a loud boom in our bathroom, and I just knew it happened again. Except this time, we really didn't bounce back. I remember sitting in pulpits, and you know how many sermons I have on my iPad of walking through the desert? I didn't know what else to preach. I had no else to, well, I don't know what else to talk about except the wilderness. I remember going to my pastor and saying, I can't, I cannot preach another sermon on faith because I have none. I don't believe what I'm saying. Yet in the midst of that, I want us to see that looking back now, how many of you know Hide Science 2020? It's perfect. Looking back now, there were things that God was doing in Geo that I needed for today. It's like in those seasons where I learned to lead, lean on pastors and staff and people and mentors, God dwindled me down to only him. People say now, well, man, I've never seen a pastor that's on his face. I don't know where else to go. There's like, there's nowhere else to, it's not that I don't trust you, it's just he has everything we need. In him, through him, by him, for him. That's how we have to live. But you don't learn that lesson unless you find yourself in the middle of a storm and you're like, I've got nothing left. So I remember being in our car, man. We had a Mazda 626 because we was broke. <laughs> it was one of those cars that had the little vents out, but it, they didn't move. They just stayed stiff. <laughs> and I remember one day we just, we, we were in the car. My wife was, I don't know how, on how many how many milligrams of medicine, and I don't know how many things were spoken over her that we had come into agreement with. Every doctor would speak something different, although I, well, I guess so. And I remember one day the Lord 
challenging us, why don't you just hold hands and pray? And I remember grabbing hands in that Mazda as we were leaving the ministry job that everybody was like, don't leave that church. There's thousands of people and it's going to look good. Quitting that job and saying, we're going to move to the middle of nowhere in Spring Hill. And grabbing hands on that car ride and believing the Lord for healing and we watched him do work. But the book of James, it speaks to us. It speaks to us about these moments. In James 1, James 1, 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Praise God. No amens there. Thank you, Kevin. When difficulties come, consider it an opportunity for great joy. How many of you were like, when, when difficulties come, when somebody betrays you, you're like, praise God, that was amazing. Lord, give me more. Why? For when you know that, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance it has a chance to grow. So let it grow. So let it grow. For your endurance is fully developed; it will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. This is you. I want you to see. I want you to see that as you walk through seasons and storms and difficulties, and you choose to respond not in fear but faith, that God authors something on the inside of you that makes you complete. I know it's not a big amen word. You're like, I don't want to hear that, bro. I don't want to go through the testing. You said glory to glory. What if the next season of glory for you looks like knowing him through difficulty? Wow. <laughs> don't amen too loud, babe. <laughs> because it's hard. But what God wants for us, we see it through Ephesians, right? He gives us the apostles, the prophets, for the sake of maturity. A mature people that would walk out their faith. Would not just come on Sundays, we, but Sunday would lead to Monday, into Tuesday, into Wednesday. But listen, what it, what it creates in us is a desperate people. It's a people, that's what I was saying, it's a people that have learned to hold on to the hem of his garment. To not let go. It's a passionate pursuit. It's a desperation that the Church of America has lost. We've lost it. We say, man, are you hungry for the Lord? And many of us, we don't remember when was the last time we were actually hungry. Hunger for us is not a, a, a matter of life or death. It is an inconvenience. If I'm hungry, it's not because I don't have to eat. It's because I haven't made time to eat. That's why in third world countries, like why do miracles happen in third world countries in Africa and Mexico? There is a hunger and desperation. Hunger and desperation for them is a matter of life or death. And the Lord, he's whittling us to this, to this place of desperation. It's, it's, it's the blind beggar. It's the sound of a people hearing Jesus is coming by and the people crying out in a room, son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. I don't hear mercy anymore. I hear more, 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 more. Give us more, 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 more. Me, me, me. That's why I told the worship team, I don't want to hear, I don't want to sing a song that talks about us. Singing songs that talk about us has gotten us where we are today. That's the problem. We, we talk about singing praises to the Lord, and we have forgotten what that even means. Singing praises to the Lord is not, thank you, God. Yay. Clap, clap, clap. 
the Lord gives us a progression. We enter with thanksgiving. And from thanksgiving, we enter his courts with praise. And the ultimate progression would be that you would find yourself in the holy of holies saying, oh my goodness, you are amazing. Oh, there's nothing. It's like you get lost. But you've got to see that the progression. Thanksgiving, it's easy, man, because if you really begin to evaluate your life, you have a reason to be thankful. Even the worst of us, we have a reason to be thankful. God, thank you for waking me up, for providing for my family, for my children. But praise is a little bit different. Because praise has less to do about what happens with you and more to do about who he is. That's the goal of the prayer room. Not just that you would receive, but that you would know him. So it would be easy for us to say, let's sing praises to the Lord because it moves us from God. Thank you for healing to God. You are a healer. It moves us from God. Thank you for deliverance to God. You are deliverer. Do you see the solidification? That way, next time you go through sickness, you're like, oh, no, no. I'm here now, but God is healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. I may go through difficulties and God provides, but if, I don't, if that provision does not lead me to the revelation of God as Jehovah Jireh, I'm going to have to go through the whole thing over again. Because the goal of the journey is to show you not just what God can do for you, but who he is to you. Oh, are you alive? It's going to be really difficult for you to live a life of faith if you don't know who he is. And you cannot live off of my encounters. My little Mexico story is great, but what God wants for you is to have your own story. It's for you to start to build history with him. It's for you to begin to step out in faith and to trust him and take what little bit you have in your hand. Some of you are stifled and you're discouraged. Like, I just don't have enough to do that. Take what little bit you have in your hand and go. Man, in 2 Kings, you find a story of a young, of a widow, and she loses everything. The creditors are coming. There's all kinds of things that are happening, and she goes to the prophet. And she's like, I need help. And the prophet gives her the word of the Lord. What is the word of the Lord? Take what little bit you, she's like, all I have is oil. All I have is oil. And the word of the Lord in that moment to the woman was, take what little bit you have and pour it out. Go find containers. And so the kids go out and they gather jars and jars. I don't know how many jars, but they gather jars. And the powerful thing in the story is the oil continued to flow as long as there was a vessel that was willing to be poured into. I want you to see this. If the kids would have gathered a thousand jars, there would have been a thousand jars of oil. If the kids would have gathered five jars, there would have been five jars of oil. Their blessing was determined by their ability to lean into what they had heard. Living in the world like, Lord, pour it out, pour it out. And the Lord's like, I can't find an empty container. You're full. You're full. You're full. You're full of Netflix. You're full of social media. You're full of bitterness. You're full of offense. You're full of doubt. One of the things the Lord really told me he wants to deal with today is unbelief. I'm telling you. He, he will uproot unbelief out of your heart today if you allow him to. And there are situations right now in my life, in my family, that I'm believing the Lord for right now. And we don't get to graduate from that because the Lord, He wants us dependent upon Him. I wish I could stay here today. You're never going to go through a difficulty again. But I just, I hear the word of the Lord saying, I'm just looking for somebody I can pour into. 
just, just a few people that would give me what little bit they have. Like they would just, they would just empty themselves. We hear a lot about that like in yoga and spiritualism, just empty yourself. Where do you think they got it from? Even, even, even the demonic realizes as long as something's empty, I could fill it. It's a people that would empty themselves from, from agendas and certain things that they think would give them better social status. God, I just want to be filled with you. God, I just want to be used. I want to be poured out for your glory, for your honor. And it's okay if people look at me weird. And it's okay if people call me religious because I understand they just don't get it. They just don't get it because some of those same people that are saying all those same things, I would imagine that those are the same people when the cultural narrative changes, they'll be bowing. Because if you don't learn how to stand now, you won't stand when there's pressure. If you don't learn how to anchor yourself in the word and allow it to become your baseline, you'll go by whatever CNN tells you. Or Fox News or whatever crap you think is the best. It's all the same. It's all the same. It's all an agenda. And the only way to stabilize ourselves is to get away with the Lord. Jesus set an example. Jesus often retreated from the people. Because he wanted to be stabilized before the Father. And he's looking for a desperate people. And you guys can come up, Covey. You guys can help me. He's looking for, for, for a desperate people that would be willing. I feel this for us today, man. I don't care if this is your first time in church. You don't have to know all the inner workings to receive from the Lord. You really don't. You just have to be open to allowing him to come in. Jesus walks to a man by the pool of Bethesda, who the Bible says has been there 38 years. How many of you know that's a long time? I haven't even been on earth that long. That's a long time. And he walks up to the man by the pool of Bethesda, and he's like, do you want what I have? What do you want? And the guy's laying on the floor like, bro, I'm crippled. And Jesus is like, do you want to be healed? And he immediately goes into all the reasons. Well, I can't get into the water because by the time the waters are stirred, the waters would stir and they would get in, they would get healed. And Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. And he had to make a decision. And for some of us today, man, it's like we've been living in whatever dysfunction for so long. And the word of the Lord is like, take up your mat and walk. Stop bringing all the excuses and the reasons you can't be healed. Take up your mat and walk. Stop telling me all the reasons X, Y, Z can't happen. Take up your mat and walk. Will you trust? Will you believe? I want to pray over a sister. I actually want to take just one moment and I want to be still. And I want to let them release over us. I really just felt, the Bible says this, be still and know that I am God, which means there's something about stillness that precedes knowing. I believe as they, as they release for just a few moments, it's just going to begin to break stuff off of us. Uh, even Gio, even me. So Father, we just say, would you have your way 
would you have your way? Fresh faith.
here. It's just really simple. I feel like the Lord's looking for some Second Kings 4, just some empty vessels. So I want to pray for those that are like, man, I feel like he's just looking for some empty vessels to fill and for us to partner and bless that. But if you're in this room today, you're like, man, I need the Lord to author fresh faith in my heart. I feel tired. I feel weary. I feel like he wants to reignite dreams. There's dreams that he wants to blow on, like Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. He just wants to blow fresh life on those dreams. So if that's you, I just want you to make your way to the front here. We're going to have prophetic company pray. Just come now. It doesn't have to take long. It's not about hype. You know who you are. Let's just come around and let's just pray. And they're going to continue to release. Just come. Oh, have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. 